Turn with me tonight in the Word of God to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going to just read together the first 13 verses. Romans chapter 14. Let's hear the word of God. For those online, I encourage you to get a copy of your own Bible. If you have one, if you haven't one, please send us information and we'll supply you with one. A very kind lady has sent me two boxes of Bibles. She knows who she is and I appreciate that very, very much. I'll be writing to her soon. Romans chapter 14. Verse 1, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then shall every one of us give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an offense to fall in his brother's way. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is found in Romans 14, verse 7 and 8. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live to the unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now, the book of Romans is one of the most profound theological books in the whole of the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about A.D. 55. And it sets forth the um, truths and teaching of Jesus Christ in a very formal, systematic way. See, chapters 1 to 11 are doctrinal. You've got the whole plan of salvation set forth. And then chapter 12, or 
from to 16 sets forth the Christian duty and practical teaching. Now, I always like to think of the book of Romans in this way. Here's what they believe, chapters 1 to 11. Here's the body of doctrine as it centers in the personal work of Christ in relation to the whole gambit of salvation. And verses, or chapters 12 to 16, here's the way we're to behave. Now, it's very important that you understand the two go together. You can't have one without the other. Our belief is, um, impacts on our behavior, and our behavior is rooted in our belief. Now, by chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a big problem that had arisen in the church at Rome. There'd been a big fallout there. The Jewish believers were judging certain Gentiles believers and vice versa on certain issues. And the Apostle Paul was very concerned and troubled, and he wanted them to learn to accept and treat each other in the Lord. He didn't want them to judge one another, especially on non-essential matters. Now, when you read Romans 14, remember you're only dealing with non-essential matters. You're not dealing with moral matters. You're not dealing with doctrinal matters. You're dealing with non-essential matters to salvation. You see, they had fallen out in the issue of eating meats or not eating meat. Vegetarianism is not a new thing. There's a fallout on the issue of observing certain holy days or not observing certain holy days. Now, I want you to notice that Romans 14 doesn't mention the word Sabbath. The word Sabbath is falsely introduced in new versions of the Bible, and it's wrong. The Apostle Paul is not talking about observing a weekly Sabbath. The one day and seven principle is rooted in the moral law of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which has never been abrogated. The uh, Christian Sabbath is what we call the Lord's day. He was dealing with other feast days, holy days, that the Jews felt that every uh, Christian should observe. And some didn't uh, feel that they ought to reserve them as holy days. And that's what the argument was about. So the Apostle Paul is seeking to deal with these contentious issues and he wants to deal with them wisely and delicately under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as he deals with it, he's stressing the fact that no matter who we are, no matter what we are, if we're saved by the grace of God, if we're redeemed by Jesus Christ and washed in his precious blood and received him as Lord and Savior, then guess what? We are the Lord's. And it didn't matter if you were Jewish or Gentile. We are the Lord's. And in fact, he went on to say, therefore, all we do in life, all that happens to us in death, is done unto the Lord. Listen to Romans 14 and 7 and 8 again. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. No true Christian lives or dies unto himself. He or she lives with a conscience. And they say with Luther, my conscience is captive to the word of God. And in the journey of life, having received Christ as Lord and Savior, acknowledging that he's Lord of all, they're shut into what the will of God is, as revealed in the uh, word of God. And they want to do the works of God. Not for salvation as a ground, but as evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. 
That individual then gives thanks to the Lord for everything, acknowledging that he has provided all this on the journey. And you see, Paul was conscious that these individuals in Rome, Gentile believers, Jewish believers, they're men and women of the word. They're not men and women of the world. And you shouldn't be judging each other in non-essential issues. They're not moral or doctrinal issues. After my mother-in-law's passing, I, I was thinking of these words. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And even though I was to preach tonight on the subject of uh, climate change, thinking of the life and death of my late mother-in-law, Molly Liggett, that George has very kindly uh, mentioned by way of condolences, I decided then I wanted to preach on this subject, and I called it the subject of living and dying unto the Lord. And that's what we want to think about tonight uh, for the next 20 minutes or so. I want you to think, first of all, of the Christian's true purpose in life. Look at these words in verse 8. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Now, we'll pause there. What is the main goal and purpose of life? We could ask ourselves, well, why are we here? What's the reason for our physical existence on the earth? Well, our catechism answers that. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, how do we do that? We do that by understanding that the chief purpose in life is to live unto the Lord, to bring him glory and honor and praise and enjoy him and every blessing that he has for us. Now, how is that possible? Suppose a young person said to me tonight, Pastor David, you're saying that the chief goal in life is to live unto the Lord. Give me a skeleton outline how I can do that. Well, here's the first thing. Receive him as Lord and Savior. That's where it starts, young people. You see, you think tonight of the journey of life. There's a day we're born and there's a day we die. My mother-in-law, Molly Liggett, was born on the 7th of June, 1924. I said this yesterday at the funeral by Rev Tribune and Kelly Carn, Lock Kelly Market Hill, to Jim and Minnie Cochran. She had four siblings. The eldest was Hilda, the late Hilda, who's deceased. Uh, Molly's twin, uh, James, he died when he was five or six years of age. Her sister, Winnie, who's still living in the round Lock Kelly, and the late John, John D. Cochran died a few years ago. In fact, I had the, pre the privilege of taking his funeral service, and he was a good, saved man. Now, my mother-in-law lived, as George has already referenced, till she was 97 years and a few months. And she died on Tuesday, the 7th of September, at 1.07 p.m. And we buried her yesterday, 9.11, September 11. We're thinking of many others who died in that day. You see, the journey of life, folks, the cradle to the grave, if we think about one's birth and then the life, ups and downs, joys and sorrows, special events and tragic events in life, and then what comes after the birthday? Well, comes the death day. And in between, in that journey of life, what's the object? 
What's the purpose? It's to glorify the Lord, first of all, by receiving him as Lord and Savior, by coming to a knowledge of him. And I can truthfully tell you this evening, my mother-in-law came to a knowledge of him on the 17th of November, 1967. It was in Lockgilly Parish Church. It was a gospel mission. It was a man or a minister called the Reverend Twadale. Uh, he was the minister of the congregation. Molly, of course, adored him. He was a good faithful minister. In his day, he was a, an evangelical preacher who preached the gospel. He taught his people in the Church of Ireland that there were sinners and they needed to be saved. There were lost sheep who needed to be found by a seeking shepherd. That, that there was a Savior who was calling them to repent and receive him as Lord and Redeemer. He, he taught his people they needed the Savior and he called on them to repent and receive him. And Molly, of course, at that time, 17th of November, 1967, became one of those converts. She repented of her sin and received Christ as Lord and Savior. And she wrote into her Bible, and I read this out yesterday in the funeral service. I was saved on the 17th of November, 1967. And it was evident that this woman had come to know the Lord. And you see, the first essential young people men and women, those who are listening to me, in living for him, remember that's what Paul's talking about, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. In living for him, the first step, the first thing, is coming to know him as Lord and, and Redeemer. And that's at the heart of the purpose of life. Coming to know him. Coming to trust in him and his person and work. Coming to esteem him more highly than anyone else or anything else. To, to think well of him. Remember what John says, John 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He added something else in 1 John 5. He says this in verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He says in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, let me press that home. Do you know him tonight? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Is he your Lord and Master? You see, why do I press that? Because sadly today, many who are unconverted, unsaved, they live for self. They live for their sin. They live for their own gratification. Why do they live like that? Because they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the biblical teaching of sin or salvation. They don't even believe that they have an immortal soul that needs to be saved. They don't believe in heaven and hell. They don't believe in religion. And you see, it impacts in the way that they behave. That's why they think the way they do, speak the way they do, and, and act the way they do. And how many tonight, how many on the journey of life have no thought, desire, or delight in Jesus Christ or the things of God? Isn't it so sad that that in itself is proof that they're men and women of the world? They're full of the world's philosophy. They don't exist to glorify God in their personal experience. 
They glorify to exist their own sensual desires. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Like Pharaoh said. There'll be no Lord Jesus Christ, master of my life. I'll decide the way I want to live. I'll be my own master. And you know, they carry that spirit and fight even to the end of their journey. Life dominated by sin and selfish desires. Self on the throne of the heart. Not the saviour. Following their own devices, making their own decisions, living out their own sinful depravity, framing their own destiny in that sense. For Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. It's not goodbye, I'll see you in the morning. It's good night forever. How many have no appetite tonight to submit to the word or the will of God? You see, I'm here tonight. Yes, I'm a Christian minister. I'm here tonight as a husband, a father, but also a son-in-law. And I'm so thankful that my mother-in-law, Mary Leggett, whom I adored and loved, and I have to tell you that, had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. And there's many things that I can't be sure of in life. Many things he wasn't sure of in life. But we can be sure of this. Like Paul said, this I know. Remember he uh, wrote to Timothy. He was fully persuaded. Second Timothy uh, chapter uh, 1 and verse 12. And remember what he said there. He made this a tremendous statement. Let me read it to you. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And there's the first step. You see, there's another aspect to this. It's not only receiving him, but it's having a regard for him. And from the moment of one's conversion to Christ, there ought to be a life of devoted service to the Lord. Your, your attitude is that you love the word of God. You love the day of God. You love the name of God. My mother-in-law loved the name of God. And if somebody blasphemed in her presence, she would have said to them very kindly, please don't use that type of language before me. She didn't like it. She, she gave herself quietly to a life of prayer. And being a member of the prayer union of the faith mission, of course, is, is proof of that. She, she would have witnessed in her own quiet way she, she had the confidence to uh, talk uh, to the Lord about the things of God. You know, this evening, let, let me just say this, if you don't mind. I remember the first time I met her. It was about 37 years ago. It was in a man called Haddon Morrow's caravan in Port Rush. The late Haddon, of course, is now deceased. And Rosemary introduced me to her and said, this is my mummy. Of course, I was being very polite and nice and sweet. And I said, well, hello, Mrs. Liggett. And she just said, call me Molly. And as I looked at her, she was a lovely, beautiful woman. And she was very, very well dressed, a very stylish lady, dressed to kill. The outfit matched and certainly was good quality. And I thought, well, there's a woman could go anywhere. She is indeed dressed to kill. And you see, my aunt taught me a very valuable little thing. And it was this. Whenever you're courting, here's an advice for young people, whenever you're courting and the girl you're with, take a good look at the mother-in-law. For when you take a good look at the mother-in-law, 
that's how the girl you're with is going to turn out. So the minute I looked at the mother-in-law and saw this lovely, beautiful widow woman before me, I knew Rosemary was the one. So I had said, said in my heart, in the head, that's the girl for me. And that's why on the third date, then I asked her to get married. And see, all of these years that I have known my mother-in-law, we never ever had a crossword. We never had a fallout. There was never one word of angriness between us. And I can truly say that I loved her in the Lord. She had a heart of gold. She was so full of grace and love. I don't believe she ever had a row with anyone on her pilgrimage. I don't believe she had any enemies. I, I think of the many hours that we spent praying together and reading the Bible. And it was times there was just her and I. Uh, if I counted them all up, I'd be lost. I'm not that good at counting. But I can say this. She was a godly mother-in-law. And it was evident that she had a regard for the Lord. She loved his word. She loved his day. She loved his name. And you know, I could go and talk to her. Like, like I could go and talk to the late Mrs. Eileen Lowe. And she could share with me pearls of wisdom. And She was like a confidant. If I told her something in secret, she'd never ever repeat it. And she used to say to me at times, whatever you do, say little. Little said, easy mended. She believed in that proverb that said, grievous words stir up anger, soft answer turn us away wrath. Another wee thing that she'd have said to me was, whatever you do, do it well as unto the Lord. Of course, it was not based in Colossians 3 verse 20. You see, she didn't believe in doing a thing half. If you're going to do it, do it right. And if you're not going to do it right, don't do it at all. Don't do it half. No good doing half a job. Do it unto the Lord. She was very generous. She had gifts of love, practical gifts, but gifts of her time. Do you know she's left away instruction? Can I share this? I'll get told off. She left instruction in a special letter to Rosemary. Here's what she said. Isn't this lovely? Rosemary, be good to David for the rest of your life. Be thankful that you have him. He's lovely. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Be glad you have him. Now she did, of course, leave instruction for I was to wear nice clothes. I do come dressed every Sunday. And uh, she used to say, you see, you're wearing uh, good clothes. It made you look good. It made you feel good inside tonight. I just want to thank Rosie here, and I know you'll bear with me. The love that her mother had was displayed in Rosie's heart too as she reciprocated that mother's love to her mother throughout all their time together as mother and daughter but especially in latter years. I have to put on record it was an unquenchable selfless love for her mother. Her mother used to get pedicures in our house feet washed in a basin hands, oh just I couldn't even go into it all selfless, unquenchable love. And I can truly say it was a joy to have Molly at the heart of our home for the past uh, four uh, years and a few months. Molly had a regard for the Lord. Her heart was full of grace and love. Let me tell you something else very quickly. Molly rested in the Lord. 
Every burden, every trouble, every trial, every tear, she took to the Lord. She loved that heaven. What a friend we have in Jesus. Used to say to me, well, we'll, we'll tell it to Jesus. You see, a, a friend loves and a friend listens and a friend's loyal and, a, and you can lean on a friend. And you see, the greatest friend of all is the Lord Jesus. He'll help in this situation. He'll guide you through it. He'll guide you by his word. You can lean on him. You can take his yoke upon you. She not only rested in the Lord, but she rejoiced in the Lord. Not in her circumstances. And you've already heard me saying in the journey of life, you can have um, wonderful times, but you can also have bitter times. And Molly had many bitter times in life. But she didn't rejoice in life's circumstances. She rejoiced in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's an important principle, isn't it? Having your eyes in him. Uh, being being at, the, at the center at, at, the, at the heart of life Not only choosing him as Lord and Saviour But being committed to him And, and, and having conduct reflecting him as, as Lord of life See to Molly he wasn't only a friend he, he was Lord of all He was the controller He was the governor of all life All that she had received Was by God's grace and God's strength And God's power And the love and the generosity and the kindness She knew was rooted in the grace of God So she loved And lived to serve him To please him To be loyal to him Seeking to advance his kingdom That's the first thing that I want you to think about The true Christian's purpose in life Very quickly Think of the true Christian's prospect in life. Look again at our text. It says, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. See, Molly Leggett knew that one day her earthly life would end. She used to say to me, why am I here? 97, 96, why is the Lord keeping me here? Why doesn't the Lord just come and, and take me home? Some of you have had loved ones in exactly the same place. Now she wanted to go home but she didn't know when She knew that her times were in his hand She knew that her days were before him They were numbered by him The day of her death was already appointed Because the point on the man wants to die And after this the judgment And you know towards the end folks She didn't want Rosie at all to leave home She used to say to her at night 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock Stay a while yet Sit there, sit in the chair, talk to me. You see, she was a night owl. She didn't want Rosie to go to bed. I used to say to her, sit there in the chair because you'll not have me that long. And you know, when I think about it far back, even a couple of years ago, when we had to cut short the wee trip to Galgorm, and then the weekend holiday that we'd planned at the 15th of July, that Friday night and that Saturday and that Sunday and that Monday, that... Plans were just thwarted and, we, well, we couldn't go. And then a few weeks ago, past in August, we had to rush home from the morning for she wasn't well, thought she was going to die. You know what I think of it now? It's all in his plan. You know what a lady said to me yesterday in Molly's yard we're having a cup of tea? A la dear lady, if you're listening, her name's Jean Tate. She's a member of the family. She's not meant me, me saying it. She said, David, but it was all in his plan. You weren't meant to do it, you see. You, of course, know, you've heard me saying, Molly planned her funeral meticulously. Everything yesterday was according to her wishes. I didn't plan it. I, I just tried to execute it to the best of my ability. Letters to her son written 40 years ago. 
letters to Rosie 20 years ago, a book with instructions on it. This is what she said. Don't be crying when I'm gone. No, no tears for me. I'll be in heaven and we'll meet again in the glory land. How's that for confidence? How's that for assurance? She, she planned to have horse-driven carriage take her from Acton to the parish church in Points Pass. At the wake, she said, tea and biscuits. Um, she wanted me to do the tribute. She wanted to do a poem. Uh, she wanted um, the Reverend Goods to read. She wanted the Reverend Greenfield to sing at the grave. The Reverend Goods couldn't read because he was in the hospital and we're thinking about him. Uh, so uh, Miriam read in the church and one of the granddaughters read uh, at the graveside. She ins left instruction that the four grandchildren were to carry her uh, in the first lift and the last lift. She wouldn't even allow me to lift the coffin, and I wanted to. And she says, oh, but in the book, clergymen don't lift coffins. You see, but she planned it down. But you know something else? She planned it in her head. Remember I said she didn't want Rosie to leave? You see, I believe she wanted Rosie there when she died. Let, let me talk about her last hour. Tuesday, she was in great form, except for the swallow. I had read to her that morning... Uh, John 14, verses 1 to 6, verse 27. It's one of the most lovely verses and comfort that we could leave with anyone. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. She said, Amen. Thank you as I went out the room. She had got rollers put in her hair. The cares were in about 12 o'clock and she asked the Rosemary, are they away? Rosemary fed her a cup of tea and gave her some other, uh, she was now in a liquefied uh, breakfast and gave her that. And Somewhere about a quarter to one or ten to one, she, she took a very bad coughing fit. And Rosie cradled in her arms. Joanna came into the room. Mark was called for. And uh, Rosemary was saying to her, cough it up. I was on the other side of the bed. And just as she did so, she just breathed her last. By this time I was singing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. I, I told her, Maul, Maul, look to the bleeding Lamb, look to Jesus now. Then I prayed. Joanna said, is she dead? She had breathed her last. She was absent from the body, present with the Lord. Miriam came then. She was coming up the road. So did James. He's home from work early on the Tuesday. We got the doctor, and the doctor confirmed it. You know, I was thinking, just let me say this. John Calvin said this when his deathbed. I have pain. There's no denying it. But I have peace. Peace with God. The peace of God. John Wesley said, cry in death. Behold the Lamb. There's only one way to face death. And that is in Christ. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And what does it mean in Christ to have his presence with us? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. To die with his power and strength, to, to die in his peace and to die in communion and fellowship with him, you've been living for him. You have loved him. You, you've been loyal to him. You've labored for him. You, you've longed for him. You see, isn't it wonderful to know that death has been defeated? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, 
Where is thy strength? See, death has been defeated. Death has been conquered. It's lost its sting. Is it any wonder Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Why is it again? Because it's absent from the body and present with the Lord. How strange it is then to die in your sins. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot be. To die as an unbeliever. Two ways to die. Die in sin or die in the Savior. You have to make a choice. And it all depends if you've received him and have a regard for him and rested in him and rejoiced in him. And you know, even that's not the end. Because when we put Molly's body into the ground yesterday, we, we have sown that body mortal to wait the day of immortality. We've sown corruption to wait the day of incorruption. The day of Jesus' return. The day of resurrection. The day of reunion, body and soul being reunited. And then what a, a rejoicing that will be. And of course, Phyllis Arnold's book will come true then. Some party in heaven. And how sad it is that people in their funeral sing things like, I did it my way. I don't want to be saying, I did it my way. I want to say, I did it the master's way. How many who die as unbelievers die mocking God, who say, I don't want religion at my funeral, die really as the enemy of God, without God and without Jesus Christ. How sad that is. That's the Christian's true prospect in life. Let me finish. The Christian's true privilege in life. Look at the text. It says, we are the Lord's. No matter what, we are the Lord's. So don't be judging on non-essential issues. Let me ask, is that true of you? I want to just leave this wee story with you. And then we're finished. I want you to think of a boy going into an ice cream parlor. It's in America. He asks the wee girl as he sits down at the table, how much is an ice cream sundae? She's there to take the order. She says 50 cents. So he counts his money. Now you imagine a waitress waiting on a wee fella counting his pennies to see how much he had. And after he counted it, he said to her, well, how much is a plain ice cream? And she says very impatiently, 35 cents. So he, he counted his money again. And then he said to her, a few minutes had passed, I'll have a plain ice cream, please. So she brought him the ice cream in a bowl and a spoon and quite a lot of people in and we fell out the ice cream. And then he left. Whenever the same waitress came over to clear the place where the wee fella had been eating the ice cream, she lifted the bowl, the spoon, the plate below it, and what was below the plate, below the bowl? Two nickels and five pennies. Fifteen cents. You see, he had enough for the Sunday. But he sacrificed the Sunday to leave her a tip. And she felt ashamed. And she realized how she had judged and treated that wee fellow wrongly in her mind. And how often we forget we are the Lord's. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And we judge each other so wrongly and harshly in non-essential things. Not moral things. Not doctrinal things. Could I just say this as I finish? 
Let's learn to treat people with respect and kindness and love. Even our enemies. Why? Because we are the Lord's. What a privilege. His child. And forever I am. And how then could we sin against him if we're the Lord's? And how then could we sin against our brothers and sisters if they too are the Lord's? That's the Christian's true privilege. So let's think this day of these three things. The true purpose. The true prospect. And the true privilege. The Lord bless you tonight. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening and for those online. May the Lord use his word for his glory. And I hope you don't mind me bringing it in about my mother-in-law. I've had to try and be sensible here and not lose it because if I broke down, I wouldn't be able to start up again.